Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the I've Got Questions podcast. My name is William Hurst, and we are here today with the winner of the Misty Mountain Spring Cup for Premodern, Mr. Sam Black. Sam, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? You know what? I am living the dream every day, all day. I can't complain. So let's just jump kind of right into it. Many are familiar with your name, but for those who are not, can you give us a brief description of uh, how you found magic, uh, where it's led you, and how you found pre-modern? Yeah. Um, so one day uh, when I was like 11 years old, uh, an older neighbor was uh, watching me while my parents were out, and uh, I had some friends down the block, and... Um, so my friend and his older brother came over and they brought uh, two starter decks of revised um, and uh, split them in half. And we played a four player game, uh, but we didn't have a correct understanding of the rules. Uh, we thought that like the draw step, for example, was like a collective draw step. Um, like th there weren't sequential turns. There were simultaneous turns was our understanding of the rules at the time. Um, and uh so combat was interesting um when i finally uh we played a few games and then the next chance i had i went and bought some cards of my own so when i first saw sarah angel we were pretty confused about like why it was only able to attack a finite number of times eventually we like taught some other friends and then one of them read the rules and uh that kind of changed the game for us <laughs> um, we, we did assume Sarah Angel could only attack once a turn. We just didn't know why. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense and probably very similar to a lot of our early experiences with magic. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the next question is how I found pre-modern. Um, I think it was just uh, I heard about um, Misty Mountain running a tournament a while ago. Um, and so I put a deck together because it was a chance to play some paper magic. And that sounds accurate to me. I remember, I don't know, did you play in the first Misty event that they had? Or was that... Hard I for me to know that, right? Like, I played in the first one I knew about. That's that's very fair. That's very fair. Um, This would have been before the trip out to Milwaukee. It was last... Uh, oh, which one was it? June or July last year, I think? Oh, I'm really bad at time. That's not going to help me. Okay, no worries at all. But I do remember you coming out to um, a local Milwaukee tournament, and that was where I first saw this version of Wait, Milwaukee. Is the one that was like north somewhere. It was uh, it was it was myself, you, and two other Madison locals who top fought it. Okay. So if that, if that yeah, helps. I think that I think that one was like some little town north. Was that some little town? It may have been. I'm horrible with also directions, so I'm going to choose to believe you on that one. Um, but regardless, I think that was the first time I saw it, and I was really struck by it because I had played a lot with uh, Rich Shea and his version of Parfait, and. I really liked this version because I always was wondering if you could fit counter spells into the parfait that I knew. So what led you to your initial 
take on kind of the tax, you know, land tax scroll rack uh, parfait list that you started with? Well, I guess now that I think about it, um, I'm not sure if I first heard about pre-modern from like the tournament at Misty or just from, I probably heard about it first from people tweeting about it, but I didn't have any reason to engage with it until there was like a place where I would play it. Um, And so I saw some tweets about some like guys blessing control decks and like, if I can do that, I'm going to do that. Um, And uh, I have some thoughts on the kinds of cards that I like to have in my decks that Mm -hmm. loop themselves, Um, you know, from like doing that a lot in limited and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I like to have, uh, you know, card draw and efficient uh, answers in those decks. And I think Counterspell and Swords to Plowshares are some really efficient answers. So I knew I wanted to play with those cards. And I've never been a fan of Oath of Druids. Um, I just, like, Swords to Plowshares is legal and pre-modern. And as far as I'm concerned, Swords to Plowshares basically bans every creature that costs three or more mana. Um, unless that creature, like, specifically interacts favorably with Swords to Plowshares for some reason. Like, Deranged Hermit, I guess, gets around it. Um, and so uh, it didn't make sense to me to play a deck that's, like, based around a card that just, like, asks your opponent to happen to be playing a deck that it works against. Um, mm-hmm. So I... Uh, and it it's it just like it takes a lot of slots and then the thing the creature you put into play never really seemed all that impressive either um so yeah i, I just didn't really get why you would want to do that um mm-hmm. so uh but i mean it's it's not like i took a parfait deck and modified it i just took the cards i wanted to play and put them together <laughs> i actually started like my first list like I was like playing fewer like land taxes and scroll racks and light tutors. Um, mm-hmm. Cause like, I'm not, I don't like the go down a card tutors in general. Um, I don't like going down a card and mm-hmm. uh, like multiple scroll racks didn't seem good. Um, but then I like goldfish the deck a bit and it was like, Oh, I clearly want to be assembling this every game. I guess I should play all of them. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, probably the most powerful engine in the format. I feel yeah, very confident saying that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the initial deck that I built was just my guess at which cards I'd want. And I goldfished it a bit to like see if it seemed, you know, functional but it's very hard to goldfish a land tax deck right because you're like well yeah. and then maybe i get to trigger land tax. <laughs> but yeah uh, yeah um so uh and i mean especially when it's like and then i don't know i need to find some answers to some stuff i don't yeah. know how quickly or which ones maybe <laughs> maybe these cards are good maybe not like yep. goldfishing a control deck is fundamentally pretty silly but i did a little of that because I had it together. And what else am I going to do? Um, yep, yep. And uh, then I, yeah, I played my first tournament at Misty and um, I played against a greater good combo deck um, that mm-hmm. uses Phyrexian Dreadnought and uh, like Replenish and a bunch of rituals. And um, 
I think it, yeah, and it just like kills with that stuff. And uh, I um, kind of like, you know, held on for a while, but eventually it did its thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also lost to Aluren. And um, my takeaway from that tournament was just like, okay, this format is like the fast combo decks are a lot better than I was giving credit for. And also all of them are just based on enchantments and artifacts. So I should just put four nulls in my sideboard and stop losing to these things. (laughs) And and that's the impression uh, that has been given by a lot of uh, proponents of this particular style of deck in the format is it's bigger problem is fast combo. So sounds like you kind of ran into those early early in the experience. Right. And so, I mean, I guess I don't understand how so many people like play this archetype and they're like, Oh, I lose to fast combo. And then just like good beats. I guess I'm losing to fast combo. Like I was like, Oh, I lost a fast combo. What can I do with that? Oh, I'll put a bunch of anoles in my sideboard and I'll put a bunch of foils in my main deck. Okay. Now I don't lose to combo ever. Like, yeah, yeah, that um, makes sense. (laughs) Like the tools are just there. Um, and so mm-hmm. then there was that tournament that you talked about where I lost in a Swiss to um, Green Black, and then I lost to the same player in the top four. And I was like, oh, apparently if you just have like blasted arms that ignore my swords to plowshares and yep. a bunch of duresses and cabal therapies and deeds and treetop village to like get the last few points in, um, that's a real problem for me. Because like you can not wake up treetop village until you've like cleared the way with a duress. So like sword splashers, like you don't have to let it get hit by sword splashers and mm-hmm. like it can't be counterspelled. Um, and uh, so then I was like, wow, this, this rock deck is a real problem for me. Um, I wonder what I can do about that. And so then I added a bunch of gushes to my main deck um, so that I could compete with discard by having just more card draw and, that also gave me a bunch of like really good lines against like basically everyone to trigger land tax where it like looks like it's safe to play a few more lands and not let me land tax. And then I pick up my islands and like start going off. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a great addition. And then I was also like, well, I, I need more than that. Cause like this deed is such a huge problem. So I put four metal images in my sideboard so that I could play it and name pernicious deed because like there's nothing comparable to like abrupt decay in this format. So mm-hmm against a creatureless deck like rocks just not going to have a versatile card that lets them incidentally kill metal image they need to like leave removal in if they want to have an answer to metal image that names deed Mm -hmm. um and i thought most opponents probably wouldn't do that and even if they did they wouldn't have a lot of them and they'd need to like find them at the right time and i could counter their like answer and i could play a second metal image on deed and stuff like that and then um the next tournament i played it was like, oh, these meddling mages are actually just great against basically everyone because <laughs> all of these like goofy combo decks rely on a single card. And also, like, it turns out that against like elves and goblins and stuff, like just playing a two-two blocker is like not bad. <laughs> no, it's not. They trade it trades with just about everything, if not everything. Yeah. Um and uh so I was really, really happy with the addition of um, Gush and uh, Metal Image. Um, 
And then the next tournament, uh, I believe I lost to you on uh, Stifle Knot. Um, yeah, we had a really was... weird game where it was like, you got a humility out, and I think we were just attacking with 1-1s until I finally just like, I guess I can't deal with a 1-1. Yeah, I won that game, right? <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, I, I won the game where it was just like humility, and then it was just like my meddling mages against your whatevers, and I had like some removal for your whatevers. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, then um, you just like went for a fast red knot in game three, and I happened to not have an answer. Um, yep, and... That's just how that matchup can go sometimes. Yeah, but I like so I I didn't end up like top eight in that tournament, uh, partially because that loss, and then also uh, neither lost against elves, where I didn't play around my opponent top decking cradle to cast biorhythm. Um, yeah, I had a, a spontaneous generation hand that I could have just cast. And then I would not have been dead to buy with him and there's nothing else player could have done. But I was mm -hmm. waiting a turn to make like twice as many guys to end the game faster because it didn't occur to me that I was playing against a potential to just like suddenly lose. Yeah. Um, and so that that was a frustrating way to lose uh, that match that I like basically had locked up. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, I thought that you know, I lost to I lost a game I could, a match I could have won against elves, and then I lost the match against you. But I'm pretty sure that like I like my decks fundamentals against dreadnought, right? Like, I have absolutely a null and plow and meddling mage, and like meddling mage is so good against stifle knight. You just name dreadnought, and like they mm -hmm. don't have a lot of answers to it. Um, and like I also have like enlightened tutor for my one seal of cleansing, so I have like a lot more like answers to a fast dreadnought than just the plows. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, so I, I was I, like, basically after that tournament, um, like I didn't win that one, but I still felt good about my deck. So I changed like one card between that mm -hmm. tournament and one sideboard card between that tournament and the next tournament. Gotcha. And yeah, this iteration of the deck just feels really tight. And for those who have not seen it, it's, it's all over. It's been shared on TC decks and stream, but I'm going to quickly read it off. Um, main deck, three foil, three gush, four counterspell, four enlightened tutor, four swords, one spontaneous generation, three guys blessings, one humility, one seal of cleansing, one sylvan library, four land tax, one ivory tower, one phyrexian furnace, one zurin orb, four mox diamond, four scroll rack, one forest, four flood strand, four undiscovered paradise, five planes, six islands, a sideboard of four null, four meddling mage, two engineered plague, two blue ellen to blast, one Tormod script, one Sylvan, one Wrath. So in looking at this deck, a lot of kind of the strange looks a lot of people had at first and when they're looking at the things I were hearing was, uh, what's the deal with spontaneous generation? Is there really just not a a better winning condition? Not even so. Close. That card is fantastic. <laughs> I was not a believer when BK first, uh, Brian Kowal first showed me that card. I was like, really? But over time, I don't think you guys are wrong. <laughs> Can you explain that a little um, bit more for the fans? Yeah, I mean, like, so some other decks are playing, like, Xur's Weirding to do a similar thing, where you're just like, I need some way to, like, lock up the game. And Xur's Weirding, if you're, like, ahead and you have an Ivory Tower, you're just like, okay, play Xur's Weirding, deny all of your draw steps, the game's over. But, um... 
you it doesn't like catch you up if you're behind it just ends the game um and spontaneous generation does the same thing you just need some card to actually end the game but spontaneous generation also wins from behind um like if your opponent has a bunch of creatures you just play it and your board is like better than their board basically all the time um Mm -hmm. so it's like really good against like any creature deck and it also means that like against um like the decree of justice decks you don't just like eventually like die to decree of justice if you don't like have engineer engineered plague which isn't my in my deck game one because you just get to make your own tokens and then like Mm -hmm. you make more of them faster and um like you know they probably have wrath or whatever but it doesn't matter because you just shuffle your uh like spontaneous generation back into your deck and do it again at some point um and so it's just like is that like finisher card but it plays defensively which like any of the other like i want to end the game now cards don't do uh arguably Mm -hmm. like it's in the role of um oath which plays defensively but doesn't play aggressively uh against all decks um and also oath takes like six deck slots or whatever where this just takes a single one um gotcha and uh yeah no it's and like when you yeah i don't know it's just incredible like it um like it's What's four mana and i make probably an average of like nine guys i've made 13 a lot um every now and then you only make four or five but like four mana for four or five one ones is also just better a better rate than like any creature in the format so whatever yep it's better rate than decrees too as well um is in a card that caught you caught off guard did you kind of find this card um at the same time bk did did you guys kind of no i didn't collaborate? know that i, I for, totally forgot that it existed bk um was uh playing my deck in one of those online things that he played in and mm-hmm. uh came across the guard and suggested it to me and uh it was just like yeah sounds pretty good i'll try it and it was great like awesome just just consistently impresses gotcha so one of the main differences that you've alluded to between this a version of um so would you consider this a parfait? Like when I talk to people about parfait, a lot of people consider parfait a prison deck. Would yeah, you I don't know what parfait d- means. I think it like was originally like a mono white legacy deck or something. So like I think that's familiar. Yeah, really understand why you would call a deck a bunch of like hard <laughs> draw and stuff. Like it's like it, this doesn't play like a mono white deck. So I just mm-hmm. call it like blue white tax rack. Um, and gotcha. you know, like maybe you're supposed to just say, "Oh, Parfait is every deck with land tax and scroll act," but like the deck plays totally differently. It has totally different matchups than like the Oath deck. So, yep. like, what are we, what are we hoping our words accomplish? Uh, yeah, and you're probably right about that. It's probably a lot of people just trying to keep things simple and have everything in as small categories as it can be. Um, but we've alluded obviously to the difference between this and other versions similar of um missing oath um i've had the pleasure of working with uh as i said rich and a lot of people who play the oath version um and oath truly can make a lot of sly matchups and tribal aggro matchups a pain in the butt is do you feel like your current version stands up just as well to those or do you think that you are losing points without that package, at least, 
you know, game one? And is it made up for by your sideboard in game two and three usually? I would rather play my deck as is against Burn than play the Oath deck. Um, okay. Could you elaborate a little bit more on maybe reasons why? Yeah, I have why? counter spells. Counter spells, <laughs> okay. uh, Burn spells. And mm-hmm. that means that like it's just very hard for them to kill you. And I have card draw. And the card, like having Gush means that I'm more likely to find Enlightened Tutor than a deck without gush and mm-hmm. um if i ever find enlightened tutor they basically lose on a spot because i get either land tax or i get either zirin orb or ivory tower and they can't beat either one um okay. and uh yeah i mean the blue cards just like being able to like counter sulfuric vortex um and being able to counter fire blast um, and being mm-hmm. able to dig further for the enchantments um, just seems way better than like having this like enchantment that you know means that if you draw it they can't like have creatures or whatever. Um, yeah, gotcha. And... Yeah, I can certainly. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've also just like I lost a single game to red once when I like mulliganed into a really bad hand um, for the matchup. But every mm-hmm. other game I've played against them, like that, like before losing that game, I literally couldn't imagine how I could lose. Like every every game I'd played had been just like I, I went to Misty once to just like play test some games, and I just like felt bad for my opponent, and like we were wasting time. Like, why do you really <laughs> want to keep banging your head against this? Like, it's not gonna get any better. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been there. It's it makes me sad sometimes as a red player. Um. So I can definitely see that argument with Sly, and I've, I've been on the opposite side of it. Um, I have had a chance to ram um, both goblins and elves uh, against uh, your list recently. It, From my side, it feels like I have more play as that tribal aggro player than I do when I'm worried about do you think that's more yes, I, of maybe I absolutely think those two decks are better against my deck than they are against oath in game one at least um sure okay uh yeah I yeah mean, we can clarify those no as different from that. sly obviously okay so we've yeah. clarified so let's talk tribal decks so game one can be tougher yep. what what do you transition into game two is the two engineered plagues typically getting you there how and how often are you siding in the singleton wrath uh, i side in the singleton wrath against like most creature decks um okay so uh yeah um i uh i i think that um my elves and goblins matchups i don't have a ton of data but i think they're close um mm-hmm. i the the games that i've played against goblins largely felt they can go either way um the games that I've played against elves, similar situation where it's just like, well, it's really hard to trigger land tax against them, but I also don't really need land tax to like be functioning. I, I kind of like bored down on them anyway, and mm-hmm. like my tutors are finding engineered plagues, not land taxes. Um, and I'm really just trying to set up like plague humility. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um. The other thought is, 
the so let's talk meddling maybe oh, that's actually. Thing is i get humility oh. which the other deck doesn't get that's true humility pain in the butt to play against um as well as being awesome for some rules questions later on in games um <laughs> so meddling mage recently has just maybe it's just taken a while but just taken off within pre-modern yeah easily yeah, I top against, i played against Go ahead. uh like stifle knot splashing meddling mage i played against mm-hmm. like uh tog Gro- grotog splashing meddling mage um there's definitely a lot more meddling mage uh this uh last tournament than i'd seen in the format previously um, yeah, it's people have realized what you alluded to earlier was that most of these combo decks, it's really one card reliant. Yeah, um, and even most a lot of decks only play a single actual removal spell. Like, yes, if you just play it and name like Swords of Plowshares or Lightning Bolt or whatever. Like most people are just like, well, that's in play. Yep that that was exactly what happened to us. I think game two when we played um, in the event is I had forgot that most decks of this nature had even though i've played against them many times mentally mage in the board and i had sideboarded out like my one boomerang or something like that uh, that could bounce it so i'm sitting there and mentally mage comes in play and it's like oh well um cool cool story oh <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> can see let's do this again but it's it's just such a it does. It doesn't seem like it should be much. You're just naming a car. You think you could play around it, but you're right. There is just so there are just so many decks. It's I have a swords. I have a vendetta. I have a you know a lightning bolt. And if you name it, it's like I, now your game's fifty times harder. Yeah, and I mean like yeah. that. Uh, you know, like I said, I played against meddling mage a bunch. Every meddling mage, well. Every meddling mage that came down against me should have named Swords of Pleasures. One of them didn't, and that was really good. I just plowed it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, and it's definitely, like, a lot harder for me when I just don't have removal anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I need to, like, find humility so that I can kill the meddling mage, or I need to just, like, establish my, like, situation and just be like, okay, well, you have a meddling mage, but I have ivory tower, or I have a million saprolings. Um and I, I mean, I was usually able to beat Meddling Mage, but it was definitely annoying. Gotcha. So one difference, another difference I see is um, a lot of decks will utilize some form of Armageddon, either in the board or in the main, as kind of your nail in the coffin a little bit more on yeah, the mid-range. So, so Counterspell is just the taking the spot of all these other well, yeah, maybe I mean, clunky just, things. Yeah, there's, there's just no reason for it. Like, the... Mm-hmm. The time where you're trying to do that, I just instead have like seven counter spells in my hand every turn. Um, okay. Like yeah, I, I like played a game where like because I had like tax rack going, I was able to just like at the end of every turn, my hand was gush, gush, foil, foil, counter spell, counter spell, spell, annul. <laughs> just like, and it's just you can't win from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that makes sense. Um, Gush is another one, I think, because you were on Impulse before Gush, right? I played, like, one or two Impulses for a little while at some point, yeah. Okay. And other others have been adapting it as well. Uh, there was a list out of Europe that did play Oath that adapted into a, uh, a Gush list, and they forewent, or they, uh, let go of the, uh, Enlightened Tutors. 
Um, let's talk a little enlightened tutor. Do you do you think this deck can operate effectively without an enlightened tutor? Do you think that I mean, enlightened tutor almost makes this type of deck too? Number one, Taxorak, and mm -hmm. um, enlightened tutor also gives me access to like you know the a bunch of bullets and stuff like that. Um, if enlightened tutor were banned, uh, I would not give up on the deck. Um, but I don't know. I would probably just like swap them for the fourth gosh and three impulses. Um, okay. And just like use that to try to put stuff together. Um, and I, I think I would still feel good to get at that point. Um, but, uh, I certainly wouldn't choose not to play enlightened tutor while it's legal. Gotcha. Do you think enlightened tutor is too good for the format? In the way that it, I, I think you had made a comment at Misty one point where you said, it, "It's like as soon as you know that like land, it was like something like land tax and scroll wreck is the best engine, and then as soon as you know that, like right. is auto include." For me, the starting point is Mox Diamond. For me, the starting point is you're allowed to play with okay. Mox Diamond in the format, so obviously you should. And then, like when you're playing Mox Diamond, like land tax is great. And then also given that the tax rack engine exists, like that all just fits super smoothly. So then you play, you know, land tax, mox diamond, scroll rack. Then you're playing white, so you have to play sword splashers, which I wanted to, like I, all my decks, I want to splash white for sword splashers anyway. So that's mandatory. Um, and then like, because you're playing tax rack, enlightened tutor is mandatory. Um, gotcha. And then you can kind of put whatever other cards you want in the deck, but like those slots to me are just like locked in as like mm -hmm. cost of doing business playing the format basically um yeah yeah to some extent there's like okay but what about pernicious deed isn't that really good against you and then it's like okay so maybe there's a world where instead of doing all of that you start your deck with pernicious deed but i think these cards are just so much stronger um i think the you start your deck with pernicious deed maybe the best end point there is then you're playing Aluren. um I'm not I'm not really sure what the best deed deck is, but it's really hard for deed to be better than that package. Um so as to like whether Enlightened Tutor is too good, I don't have any opinion on like I think my deck is too good. Um I think okay. any of Enlightened Tutor, Mox Diamond, uh Land Tax, maybe even Scroll Rack could go. Um, mm -hmm. but I think that like that whole package is like you know, it's like fast. It's the best fast mana, the best colored mana in a format that has really like big colored mana problems. Um, mm -hmm. Getting like Mox Diamond that taps for any color and land tax that finds basics, like whatever basics you need, just like solves the colored mana issue. That part of the reason that like, I think that you have to play that engine instead of playing something else is like, I'm not going to play a two color deck with City of Brass when I can just play Mox Diamond and Land Tax and have perfect mana <laughs> for whatever cards I want. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. Yep, that makes sense. Um, so it's very, it's like you're the format. If this is the best, why aren't you playing the best? And I guess the question from that becomes is, is that good for a format when things become so pushed together like that where no other you know, options are truly as good. No one's going to have fun in the everybody's playing land tax format. I can guarantee right. that. Like I would, but there are not very many players who are signing up for that. Also, like if everyone understands 
that you're supposed to play these cards. The format just can't exist in non-proxy paper if everyone is like, well, Mox Diamond's a buried entry to play. Yeah, and that that is, I think, the one one of the one things, and I'll, I'll take this to my grave, that is keeping a change from being made is that Mox Diamond is so cost prohibitive to most players. Well, right, but that's, I mean, that's, it's, that's such a goofy situation, right? Where it's like, right. Okay. Well, not everyone's playing Mox Diamond because most people can't afford it. So you're basically just saying like, yeah, this format is just straight up. Like the people who can afford Mox Diamonds just have a huge advantage and we're not going to ban it because we're fine with that because most people don't have them. But then it's like, okay, so I just get to beat everyone because I happen to own Mox Diamonds. There is definitely some of that. Um, And the format in and of itself, while I I agree that Parfait or some version of a tax rack engine is the best deck in the format, uh, it does have weaknesses to attack. And that's what a lot of people in the format come to is like, well, if you're really worried about it, you can really beat it. You just got to focus on it. But in a field as open as pre-modern can be, it's like, well, then by doing that, you almost open yourself up to about, I don't know, however. Um, well, so I've still seen, I've still seen fast combo beat both versions of this deck. Uh, yours is harder, obviously, with counter spells. And tell me the fast combo deck that you think's favorite against me. Um, the uh, angry, not angry hermit. Um, hermit not. I, I think it's pretty good. That deck when I've played against it. Okay, and your and your experience may be definitely different than mine. That's completely fair. I would love to actually dream of mine. Dream of mine is to do a uh, a, a versus style thing for pre modern. Um, doing just this is like let's take these decks and the conceptions of them, who's better, who's not, and jam them with two very competent players and kind of get that definitive answer. Uh, because I don't know how much testing truly actually gets done in a lot of these yeah, versions. I, I mean, I, you know, I can't say I've played a ton of games, but they were decisive. Like, um, sure. Cause like I have, you know, plow and plague and, uh, humility and, uh, Hormod's crypt and counter spells. Mm-hmm. And it's just so hard for them to like get their thing to happen through all that. Sure. I think the thing is that they can get there. The thing I learned about that deck, and I'm not an expert, is the aggressive mulliganing that comes with it. And that takes a skill of. Yeah, I they don't know can. Getting foiled by a group mulliganing to a small hand. True. Very true. I'm not sure if I've played a version of the deck that had three foil in it. So I will concede that. I would love to, if you ever have time. Let's let's jam it a hundred percent. Let's jam. Yeah, it. I mean, I, I've I've done it before, but I, I if you know if we're ever in the same place and you have the deck together, I, I'm happy to play it more. But um, that that was one where like I may I I don't know if my opponent like took a game off me before I like understood what their deck was doing. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but I have uh, definitely beaten that deck a lot more than I've lost to it. Sure, uh, and then the other thing is I do think. Um tribal decks in capable hands are capable of beating both versions yeah, of Parfait. Yeah, I, I think that, like I, said, I, I think the Elves and Goblins decks are close. Um, and the other deck that I think might actually be good against me is Replenish Standstill. Yes. Or another, do you think like Replenish Standstill 
with like we're talking more blue white control or are we talking more yeah, like, the blue, uh, blue white control but with like a bunch of seal of cleansings and mm-hmm. uh like you know a, a decent replenish package not necessarily right. like four copies of, of replenish but like uh definitely four copies of seal of cleansing four copies of meddling age four stainless yep. stills uh some factories, some decree of justices, um, some counter magic. Yeah. Um, just, I, I think that deck is probably really bad for me. Yeah. I think you are right. And I know BK and I have talked about this. I've talked to other is if, and what the meta is doing is shifting towards this version of deck, uh, blue white in one form or another is ready for a resurgence. Cause I do think it is a tough matchup. So, I guess the main point I would make is if, like, say we're talking tribal decks, they really want to beat you, they can do it. They they have the tools, but I think the amount of tools they have to consistently beat it all the time weakens them against other things. Yeah, and I mean, I also, like, I think that, you know, I could imagine the, like, um, replenish standstill getting up to, like, you know, winning 70 plus percent of the time. I, I don't mm-hmm. think the tribal decks are winning more than 60-65% of the time if they really try. You are probably pretty close to that, uh, but it's probably the best game I have, and maybe blue-white is the answer. Um, I know that uh, BK seems pretty firm on that when we've talked. Other people have brought it up, so um, I definitely want to see it, and I, I am quite surprised in the way that Madison has shaped up. It's very blue-heavy. Um, in these events that we don't see more blue white, I think I saw two in the room at the last event, uh, which really kind of surprised me. Um, oh, another deck that like might be good against me is just like something that has a bunch of discard and hunting echoes. I had luck when I was playing, so it's Psychotog. Uh, amazingly enough, I had a pretty good percentage against the parfaits I played against because of the discard, because of strong counters, uh, and then because of haunting echoes out of the board. Yeah, it. it I will say that is on the right path. To yeah, or, I there. mean, like if you were to play like Grixis Tog with like Burning Wish, um, like that might have a pretty good matchup against me. I, I kind of like that idea. And and we do need a good place for Burning Wish. I'm a huge fan, and we just have not... We haven't gotten there yet with that card. And yeah, I, I think I it's probably better if you don't actually play the Psychotogs, because that's just validating Plow for no particular reason. Um, yeah. <laughs> Silly Plow. Silly Plow making Tog not smile. Um, So... One other thing in the main deck is the Phyrexian Furnace versus uh, Tormod's Crypt debate. Why do you lean Furnace main and Crypt in the side? Well, Crypt isn't good against any of the decks that beat me. Okay. Gotcha. Is it is it the pinpointing of Phyrexian Furnace? It's the fact no, the fact that it cycles. Like it's just Oh, okay. Gotcha. I don't have a dead card against like elves and goblins and stuff. Um Ah, and okay. it's still like you know against like a blessing mirror i can still like nuke their blessings eventually um but i don't have to like have this like actual dread dead draw against the non-grader decks okay that that makes sense and i was on the furnaces too when i was on tog for similar reasons um so on the day of the event did you drop a match at all 
or were you XO the whole? I, I lost to uh, Black White. Um, okay, talk yeah. to me about that matchup. Uh, so I, I played the same player on the same deck uh, in two different events. I won the previous time <laughs> we played. He won this time. Um, he, you know, it's like he's playing a, you know, like duress uh, Gerard's Verdict deck. Um, and he also has like Dark Ritual and um, Phyrexian Arena. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, one game he just like played a bunch of random creatures and I played Humility. And then I like got Ivory Tower so that I could get to the point where I could just ignore all of his creatures. But then he just like cast Gerard's Verdicts like two or three turns in a row to stop me from gaining life with Ivory Tower. Um, mm-hmm. and ended up just like killing me with his one ones, like one turn before I could like build up a hand that could stabilize against them. Um, I needed to okay. find a, like, if I draw a gush at any point, his game falls apart, but I just didn't. Um, okay. and then, uh, the other game, um, he just like tore my hand apart with duress and then like stuck a hypnotic specter. And then mm. like the specter hit my gush right before I could play it. And I just drew lands and died to specter. <laughs> All right, that makes sense. So, is it? Have you tried this deck against like um, like rack decks? I mean, I know the theory is you play land tax, you win, and I get it. But what happened? Is that how you have to win? Could heavy discard decks really? Well, they don't beat gush either, right? That's true. They don't beat gush. Okay, you're right. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying to find ways to beat this deck. I don't yeah. want to play it anymore. <laughs> No, um, so one the last kind of question I'll ask is playing this deck now in its form for an event, taking one down, do you think um, with the experience now you've gained under it, you would cha- be changing anything looking at the next event, next event, or do you think this is pretty recommended 10 out of 10 to anybody who maybe wants to pick up a version of this deck? I mean, like, I would be, like, yeah, I mean, like... Unless you know that the entire tournament is specifically gunning for you, I don't know why I wouldn't play it. Like I, mm-hmm. um, like I went to uh, Magic. Like I brought it with me to like MagicCon in Philly, and um, like Stu Summers was uh, showing up and said he was like bringing a bunch of pre-modern decks. So I get there and like we meet up, and he's like, "Yeah, I have like five pre-modern decks." I'm like, "Okay, I'm playing this. Play the deck that's going to beat me." And he just didn't have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and um, I feel like I have, you know, that kind of experience a lot. I, I think that, you know, like I, you know, I was like, tell me the fast combo that actually is feeding me. I don't think I lose to any of those. Um, okay. I don't think I lose to any of the other uh, like tax rack decks. Um, like they're just like large portions of the metagame that I think I have like fantastic matchups against. And then basically mm-hmm. it's just like, I have a whole bunch of like close to buys and then there are like a few, uh, you know, matches that are like real matches, but I don't feel Mm -hmm. like, I feel like I get a bunch of free wins and I don't give anyone else free wins. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so moving kind of away from this and the dominant performance you put in, are there, um, any cards or things within pre-modern that you really kind of want to dabble in a little bit more. You had a really uh, 
really cool domain deck that yeah, you Yeah, I have, I have a number of like brews that I'm curious about that I keep being like, man, it would be fun to try this, but my deck's just too good to play something else. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, what what are some of those brews? So what's kind uh, of yeah, filling like, around? As you alluded to, there's a domain deck um, that is, uh, you know, my attempt at like, okay, so what if I want to play Pernicious Deed, but I also want to play Gaia's Blessing because it's legal. Um, and I want to play Sword Splashers because that's legal. Uh, and I want to play Counterspell because, well, I don't, I, I want to play Counterspell, but the mana doesn't let me. But Evasive Action's close enough. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so that deck is like, um, you know, Blessing Deed, Plow, uh, Factor Fiction, Allied Strategies, just like one Allied strategy is for Factor Fiction. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, then like, some duresses and like uh random bullets for different matchups and stuff like some wandering streams to beat burn um and i think that x and haunting echoes um is the kill um because you can't reliably have a big hand so uh it's not um spontaneous generation and also you have enough black mana that you can play haunting echoes and haunting echoes is fantastic um because it actually yes, it beats both people um, or mm -hmm. the, the blessings people rather. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that deck is like pretty fun and interesting. Um, I think it has a really weird matchup against my deck, and I don't know who's favored. Um, because like you have uh, Deed, which is great, but uh, Factor Fiction is a much worse card draw engine than Skorak, mm -hmm. and like. You have soft counters to their hard counters, and they have more counters, but you have discard. And also, like, your soft counters are, like, pretty hard counters against this deck that's, like, trying to operate Landlight. And it's, it's, I played it a tiny bit um, against, like, but it was just, like, I felt like I won on deck familiarity. Um, okay. And... I, I genuinely have no idea who's favored post pre sideboard or post sideboard and whether it flips or not. It's it's but it's just such a bizarre grind fest of a matchup. Um, <laughs> that sounds like quite a match, though. Yeah. Uh, and then I have some some interest in exploring um, Sapphire Medallion. Okay. Um, like I, I like the idea of like Sapphire Medallion with like deep analysis factor fiction accumulated knowledge um like that package lets you really draw a lot of cards like basically i was kind of impressed by what was going on in the like grow dreadnought space that uh yeah the dreadnought grow space where they're just like oh you can just play a bunch of blue cantrips and rip through your deck well mm -hmm. what if the blue cantrips i'm playing actually not any cards um yeah, and I have Sapphire Medallion, so they're all pretty cheap. Like, wouldn't that be better? Um, and I don't know if that is like a uh, Gaia's Blessing deck, or if it's just like a Psychotog Nether Spirit uh, Haunting Echoes deck. Um, okay, but uh, I like that, and I also like that you can play Mox Diamond in that deck because you have a bunch of actual card quantity advantage stuff, and so you can like use that uh, to. Also, you know, make it bad that your spells are so expensive. Um, so, and then obviously that would also be like a gush foil deck, um, because those cards are great. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I've had, I, I think the medallions in and of themselves uh, for cards just don't, I wish they got used more because it's just so powerful what they do for such, so cheap. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you're playing close to monocolor, it's like a signet, except it untaps and replay a spell or whatever. Mm hmm. Yes. Agreed. I mean, it only taps for colors, but. Could I wonder if there could be a shell of uh what you're kind of describing? Like I've I've had thoughts of uh, a blue mud deck that would run you know tinkers facts and things like that with like a mud package. What are you tinkering for? Could... Uh, I mean you can tinker for um processor Mishra's helix, um more controlling it Karn if you needed to. Um, there, I mean, it's not obviously the most amazing tinker targets we've ever seen in our lives. Yeah, this card's um, <laughs> I'm trying over here. I'm trying. Okay. <laughs> Processor used to do its thing, right? Right. Come on. All right. But no, it's, I, I like the brewing space that this format, even if it's just wacky. Um, and that kind of leads me to the next one. You, from what I have noticed and tell me this is accurate. Are you a big fan of, uh, is it, is it, it's, um, it's not Commander Cube, is it? No, it is. Or is it? Yeah. Oh, it is Commander I, I, Cube? I have a Commander Cube that I play uh, weekly, at least. Okay. So you're a fan of some of these offshoot formats, Commander Cube. Uh, you've mentioned CDH. Yeah, the I actually just got back from playing CDH tonight. How'd it go? I won. Yay! Um, yeah, I've been playing. Um, there's a, a local store that hosts like uh, 450 buy-in CDH pods, uh, where the winner gets like uh, $16 or whatever. Um, and okay, I've been uh, playing those for a few weeks. Um, I lost the first pod that I played there um, to someone having like the best deck, the best draw their deck was capable of, and killing the table on turn three on the play. Um, and then I won the next five tables I played. All right. Well, I would say that's a pretty impressive record, but not one we're surprised at. I um, I, mean, I think there are people, I don't know. It's, it's a funny thing. Um, just like there are a lot of people who believe that, you know, because it's a four player format, shouldn't be possible to get win rates that are like significantly north of 50% or whatever. Like, because you have to, you know, beat three other people. But um, I, I have always believed that it is possible to, like, I just think that there's so many more decision points and so many more ways to get equity in multiplayer games. The games are, like, really, like, quite a bit longer and just quite a few more actions and um, just quite a, like, the the options are a lot more open-ended i guess um and like okay uh like just the how to use your opponent's cards as answers instead of your own as often as possible is the most important thing because like mm -hmm. you know if someone else answers counters something that you could have countered like you counter the thing you were trying to counter drew a free counter spell and uh like you you control magic to your opponent's counter spell and mm -hmm. like it's it's just like you're up so much every single time you don't have to answer something and someone else does. Um, and there's a lot of play to being in the spot to make that happen. And mm -hmm. 
it just feels like the amount of equity that's up for grabs is so high that I feel like um, players who capitalize on all of that end up just winning a huge portion of the time. Gotcha. And the reason I kind of am going down this path is recently I was able to uh, take a trip with my wife out to Minnesota where uh, Aaron Dix had hosted with Mill City um, a two-headed giant pre-modern event. Oh, yeah. And honestly, like I, I was just there. I did coverage. I didn't play. But it was really fun to watch and really fun to see some of the ideas. So I wanted, when I had a chance to talk to you, to speak to you as somebody who kind of gets into some of these other formats, is the pre-modern card pool big enough to do like a, I think Jeff Green has a old border like cube. He brought to cube. Gra- he does. Cube con. That's, that's true. Kind of pre-modern-ish. Yep. But could there be a pre-modern cube? Could there be pre-modern CDH? Like yeah, so- I'm interested in putting those kind of unique events together if they're possible. Yeah. So I'm actually in, on the subject of 2HG. I'm actually one of very few people in the world who has played a two-headed giant constructed like a two-headed giant constructed tournament before. Um, I think actually uh, Brian Cole was my other head in that tournament. Was there, because I I remember the, there was a, was there a pro tour that was limited? That was limited. So a lot of people have played two-headed giant limited. Two-headed giant constructed is a very stupid format. (laughs) (laughs) I got that impression. Yeah. So, um, the, there was just a random like two at a giant constructed tournament at Gen Con that BK and I played that was um, Mirrodin Kamigawa like uh, yeah Mirrodin Kamigawa constructed um, oh boy <laughs> uh, like standard um, yeah and so like a lot of t- like the default was just like one person would play tooth and nail and the other person would play like uh, Jushi Blue or whatever. And people would just uh-huh. have like I'm the count like like counter spell deck, and I'm the like combo like aggroed like the, the deck that's trying to win, and the deck that's trying to stop the opponents from winning. So that sure. was kind of like level one. We're just going to play some standard decks, but mm-hmm. we're just going to play some standard decks is not the way that you want to approach to HG. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think the event I went to it was one by seat one was on Reanimator. Seat two was on a devour combo. They went like XO, right. just two decks doing powerful, stupid things. Yeah. So we we were like in the, the two headed giant constructed tournament that I played, we were setting up like this Kiki Jiki intruder alarm combo where like player A was like a deck that just tutors for Kiki Jiki, and player B was a deck that just like uh, mulligans and serum powders for intruder alarm. Mm hmm. Um, and it was just like, okay, each of us, we're both playing a one card combo deck. Um, yeah. and it's just each of our responsibility to find our one card. Um, and then also like everyone else who thought about the format at all, uh, we had a Um, but like <laughs> most people had like an Arayo deck, whereas we had three Arayos in the blue deck and one Arayo in the time of need deck. Um, so, oh, time of need. So we had, uh, you know, eight Arayos against other teams, four Arayos. So that was also a good advantage. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, in the doubling of it. Now, obviously, pre-modern, a little bit smaller card pool, not as many powerful effects, but still powerful. If you were to, if I were to say 
Sam, we got two-headed giant coming up. What? Where would your initial thoughts go for pre-modern? I this for a pre-modern like I team? heard about it and I didn't like instantly break it. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure what I would do. I, I would need to like actually study the card pool for a while. Um, I assume that you can do some stuff that's really, really good. I assume that the people of that tournament probably gave it some thought. It's possible that like this, you know, two graveyard combos that kind of play off each other in some way is like the right way to go. Um, but of course, like if that's the right way to go, then you end up like, if, if that's clearly true, then you can be like, well, I just have like an enlightened tutor Tormos crypt deck. So. Oh yeah. Um, and there's, there's a lot of, uh, there was a lot of uniqueness to it. There was uh, one team that found the uh, essentially two slide decks or two burn decks right, splitting up all the burn. Um, elves, if I was going to go and play, it was going to be elves and stasis together. Okay, right, because elves play so well under stasis. Yep, so you have 100%. one player that locks up the table and the other player that's like, uh, you failed to lock me. I'll just do yep. my thing. That, that's pretty um, good. Yep, the one combo, we did see the combo, uh, there was a pair that was on Stasis and the other person was on Frantic Storm using Sapphire Medallion okay. uh, to storm off, so that was powerful. Yeah, that sounds uh, worse because I think the Storm deck sucks, whereas Elves is like good. <laughs> yes, I, I think you're right, I wouldn't have done it, but it, there wasn't a lot of blessings in the room, so the Storm deck was better. Oh sure, I mean, um, like you only have to mill one player, um, and so, exactly like you just mill the person who definitely doesn't have blessings and they die. But I yeah. also just like I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I I don't know how like consistent that deck is. It it looks pretty. I I haven't like studied it. I haven't played with it. I haven't played against it. But I played uh, at I played at a table near games that were being played with it and it sounded like mm-hmm. the uh the storm player was just kind of losing themselves a decent amount i think that's accurate it is not it's missing a couple of tools that it truly needs unfortunately but overall the things like pox is areas to explore standstill things yeah. like that are there um and then cdh like there's, there's just a bunch of interesting legends to build around. <laughs> interesting is the way to uh, put it. <laughs> it's, it's, interesting is the word I'm going to go for. Yeah. Um, so it's, I definitely, I love pre-modern, and yeah. I'm trying to find more ways to enjoy it yeah, outside I mean, of just the competitive, I suppose. Right, so there is pre-DH, which is... Um, everything before the first commander set was printed. So it's like the idea is commander, but with no cards that were designed with commander in mind. Um, Okay. I don't remember exactly what that goes up to. It does involve some modern border cards, but Mm -hmm. it stops reasonably early. It's, it stops somewhere around 2010, 2011, something like that. Okay. Um, That's not horrible. Yeah. uh, I think, so I think that does have some planeswalkers. I know that's like a big, you know, stick point divide for some people, but yeah. also I don't think that they're particularly significant in like multiplayer. Um, okay. Uh, 
just not as powerful in a multiplayer sense. Well, it's just, you know, like, it's not like every deck has to be able to attack them as long as someone at the table has some creatures they can pressure a Planeswalker. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. And, uh, you know, obviously it's not like you have, like, War of the Spark static abilities on Planeswalkers or anything. That's true. Um, That's very true. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know... You know, obviously, you could make it, like, full pre-modern instead and, like, make the card pool a bit smaller. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would be an improvement or not. Um, For me, you know, I'm more concerned if I'm playing uh, multiplayer and trying to build my own format or restricting card pools and stuff. I'm someone who's more interested in being like, so what if we get rid of tutors and we get rid of shuffling? Just, you know only shuffle yeah. our decks at the beginning of the game and then we just get to like spend our time playing magic. Um I, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Um and you're you're definitely um the cubing, cubing. I've never got into cubing and that probably seems the best area that pre-modern can yeah. find an option. I know he has talked about putting together a pre-modern cube. Um yeah. But I think he uh I, doesn't want to dedicate his pre-modern collection to that. Like a cube, having a cube locks up a lot of cards, especially if your collection is like, well, I own four ofs, and then you're like, mm-hmm. well, now I can build zero decks because like, <laughs> yeah. one of all of my cards is in my cube. Um, and gotcha. Um, so it's it's a big, you know, assuming that you have a collection that is designed to build pre-modern decks and you have four of of things and you want to proxy neither your cube nor your pre-modern decks, you get to Mm -hmm. have one or the other. Um, Yeah. But I do think that designing a pre-modern cube, um, like I think BK has talked about just, you know, believing that he would be pretty well suited to like building a cube that actually plays like pre-modern, which like Jeff's cube is cool, but it does not play like pre-modern. Okay. Because it's actual like, any old bordered card printed, well, right? So like there, it could be... two, the problem is there's a squeeze here where it's not okay. just uh, old border. It's old border foil. And so his cube only has pre-modern cards that were printed in foil. Um, oh, okay. And so like Dominaria remastered and stuff like added some cards that like pre that were legal and pre-modern that previously mm-hmm. had not been eligible for his cube. Um, gotcha. He, so like Sylvan libraries and right, things exactly. like that. He has like okay, the, a, you know, and a later starting point than pre-modern does, basically. Okay. Except there are all these like weird random exceptions from cards that had been printed in foil in some kind of promotion promo thing later or whatever, or included in some later set. Um, mm-hmm. And then like he also has the difficult task of like figuring out which cards that were created later but printed an old border he wants to include in his cube um without throwing off the pre-modern feel and like he you know the description of his cube for uh was like you know i've included some new cards but i you know tried to keep a pre-modern feel or whatever and my experience playing with it was like well any card that was printed after like in the modern era you should take over almost anything printed before that. <laughs> they're just, it's just so obviously more powerful. Yeah. I mean, like the cards that they have chosen to put in retro frames are cards that they chose to put in retro frames because people like them because they play with them, which means that they're powerful right. cards. 
Um, <laughs> okay, so that, 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 that flies. Powerful cards from not pre-modern are stronger than all but the top 5-10% to 10 of pre-modern cards. Like, pre-modern <laughs> cards in the queue. Um, so, like, you know, I, I, like, did a draft of that cube. I went 3-0, and I, you know, my best cards were, like, Eternal Witness, Restoration Angel, Soul, and Simulacrum, like, a bunch of stuff that's just, like... Yeah, these are just not pre-modern cards. Got you. So, but the idea of a pre-modern cube, from your experiences with cubing, if put together, could actually be successful and fun, you think? Yeah, but I, I definitely think that you need to give up, like, the foil restriction if you want it to play like pre-modern. Like, so, so many of Got the you. kind of, like, defining cards of pre-modern are some of the, like, oldest eligible cards for the format. Okay. Well, I would, if... I might talk to BK because I don't cube much, but I think that might get me into cubing and give me another avenue. Because just when I play pre-modern, it reminds me of magic feeling more fair. I don't know if that's the most accurate way to I, describe I bet it. If you told BK that you would assemble a cube if he gave you a list of the cards that he wanted in it, he would be excited to do that. I don't then know. If I, I have a mission. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's, you know... A thing that you want to take on as a collector or whatever, but I know that uh, the you know inventory management aspect of it, and I know BK really doesn't like playing with proxies, so there's mm -hmm. really like hurdles for him. But I bet if you told yep. him, you know, there'll be this cube, it'll be the cube that you want to play, and I'll put it together. Uh, I bet he would be really excited about that. Well, then I have a project to work on. <laughs> I'm okay with this. Um, so Sam, before we get going, uh, something I've started to do, uh, really simple. A lot of things have done it is, um, three questions, uh, most overrated card in pre-modern, most underrated card and card that needs to be broken. Okay. Well, most overrated, um, I'm going to just go with a kind of Mimi answer and say Oath of Druids. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I don't know if it's overrated in the format at large but it is at least overrated in my archetype in that people keep playing with it despite you know my list being public and i don't think that makes any sense um okay gotcha uh underrated um i think until very recently it was probably meddling mage um okay uh there's an argument that it's a null I don't know if everyone plays four of those in their blue sideboards or not yet, and it's also possible that only playing them in sideboards is underrating it. Um, I play, for, for the record, um, the last two events, I've played two in alls, main, two in the side. Yeah. Um, so, well, that's where my stance is. Yeah, and I mean, you're, you're also, like, you're playing, like, that's your only answer, right? Like, I'm not playing the main yeah. because I have tutor for seal. Um, but That's true. Um, but yeah, uh, I do think um, it's a very reasonable main deck card for sure. It, it's it's somewhere between reasonable and should be somewhat automatic. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't. The, the we'll say those are the things that come to mind there. And then mm -hmm. uh, waiting to be broken, um, or should be broken. Should be broken. Um, Burning Wish? I mean, I, I don't think that's a bad shout-out. It it certainly grabs powerful things. 
like haunting echoes it haunting echoes is backbreaking yeah i mean you can have a package that includes like haunting echoes and void and armageddon and there you've dealt with like permanence graveyards slash libraries and lands that's a mm -hmm. spread with very few cards yeah i i 100 agree so and you can uh, uh you what you can get like tranquil domain it's a pretty good one tranquil tranquil domain is an instant is it all right well you can do it tranquility is. or whatever like the, the, the... yes you can <laughs> gotcha yeah it's um or hull breach hull breach i that i that's a card i need people to stop playing a lot <laughs> i don't I don't think that card is ever right in this format, in my opinion. But that's just me. Um, like you prefer naturalize? I prefer naturalize. I think sorcery in this format is really hard, unless it's backbreaking. Like I, I'm fine with like haunting echoes sorcery, but if it's hull breach, most of the times, yeah, I'm okay with naturalize or. Yeah, so I domain. actually have a like really goofy like eighty card nonsense burning wish deck uh put together like okay. just put together on my phone that's just like what if i just like played all the stuff that i want to play like mox diamond land tax scroll rack enlightened tutor and my enlightened tutor can find survival of the fittest and recurring nightmare and so then i have like a weird little survival of the fittest recurring nightmare package that's like four birds of paradise four wall of blossoms monk realist monk idealist uktabi orangutan uh <laughs> goblin nabob deranged hermit genesis withered wretch and then that lets me play Cabal Therapy. So I'm playing like Duress Cabal Therapy. I have a Pernicious Deed to Enlighten Tutor for, even though I have like all of the um, stuff I don't want to deed, but it's still so strong to be able to like tutor for. And then like also Plows. Um, so like that, that's the deck. That's the main deck. It's way too many cards. It's absolute nonsense. It's probably not good, but it does like have everything. tools for everything. Um, uh-huh. And so the four burning wish so I came up with a hypothetical burning wish sideboard. So that would be All right, let's hear it. Pyroclasm, Chainer's Edict, Spontaneous Generation, Wandering Stream, Wrath of God, Armageddon, Haunting Echoes, Hole Breach, Allied Strategies, Devastating Dreams, Nostalgic Dreams, Massacre, Land Grant, Reverent Silence, and Lay of Land. And notably, Absent okay. is Void. See, I love that because you said two cards that I think don't get played enough in the devastating dreams, which is an amazing card mm -hmm. and nostalgic dreams. I right. currently am trying to make mana flare, like old heartbeat of Springs, early harvest combo deck work. Right. And obviously if you're like actually a land tax deck with uh burning wish, then the dreams are just incredible. Yeah. Abs. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. The, okay. The amount of lands you can turn into dumb things is astounding. Right. Yeah. So okay, if you like, can, I think that there might be a good version of this deck that like gets rid of you know maybe like the nonsense creature package or whatever, and is just like a burning uh -huh. wish land tax deck, um, and does just like really gross stuff with devastating and nostalgic dreams. All right. Well, that one. I, I am not a great deck builder. I'm good at finding a deck and tweaking a deck. Um, so I'm going to rely on those better at that than me. So I'm hoping if you can break that for me, I'll play that all day. Yeah, I mean, that, that's but. a deck where, like, I, I've pulled some of the cards for it. 
Um, it's another one of those, like, it's on my list to mess around with. And I would literally just mm-hmm. start by playing, like, the 80-card version and then figure out, like, which cards I don't like and, you know, tune by just removing. Um, gotcha. And might end up with, like, a strong, like, tax rack burning wish deck there. Okay. Awesome. Um, so future plans. I know you're a busy guy. Any chance of seeing you out at uh, LobsterCon? Nope. At all? Nope, not a chance. Uh, I if if I'm gonna fly somewhere, I need to be able to like make my money back in the tournament, and uh, that makes sense. Pre modern stuff just doesn't have the like cash prizes to like get me to invest in flight in a hotel. Like makes... I have a lot of fun playing Magic, and but like I don't have enough more fun playing. Like I don't. I care that I'm playing Magic, but I don't really care where I'm playing or what I'm playing. Like I I'd be just mm-hmm. as happy staying home and playing my commander cube as like flying to Maine or whatever, um, Massachusetts, wherever it is, they have lobsters, um, and playing <laughs> like a pre-modern con. If I can gotcha. like, win some serious prizes there. Gotcha. So it is the, uh, for the most part, the, the love of magic, you can play it anywhere. It doesn't have to be a specific format of any sort. Yeah, I mean, you, you get some prizes and get me thinking there's maybe reasonable EV and I'm in. My understanding is that that's not what a lot of the larger pre-modern events are about. Nope, it, it's not. And it is a that divide between uh, some uh, any sort of, you know, prizing versus more of the casual. A lot of like Lobster Con is for charity. Um, right. All the proceeds go to charity. So there is definitely a divide uh, that has been talked about. That's really an interesting conversation. But no, if if you're looking for any sort of like monetary value, pre-modern is probably not where you're at, um, which is you know perfectly fine because there are many many other ways uh, to scratch that itch as well. Yeah, and I mean, I I also like it helps that I you know live in Madison and I get to play pre-modern tournaments sometimes. So that's um, that's true. Yeah, it's like, very true. So yeah, I, I, I get, we expect like, to see you in July, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, again, there could be some other event that trumps it, but if there's mm-hmm. not something else I feel obligated to play, then I'm, you know, very happy to be playing local pre-modern tournaments. Love it. All right. Um. Well, Sam, I know that you do streaming and things like that. So if you have any plugs for uh discord streaming anything like that uh let the audience know where they can find you before we kind of say good night yeah uh at samuel h black on twitter and uh twitch.tv slash samuel h black um for my stream and uh i write weekly articles about my commander cube for eminence uh and i write weekly articles about uh eh related stuff so some Popper EDH, some CDH, uh, maybe some Oathbreaker, just whatever, whatever I'm up to um, for Hipsters of the Coast. And I'm also the host of the Drafting Archetypes podcast. Uh, it's just me. Um, and I break down how to draft a particular archetype in the current draft format each week. Um, and... Uh, you can find that by searching Drafting Archetypes wherever you like to listen to podcasts or on YouTube. Um, there you go. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so very much for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Um, congratulations on the win, another feather in the cap, and introducing a new version 
of a popular deck for people to chew on and consider and play. So thank you very much uh, to the audience. Thank you for joining us. Have yourself a wonderful evening or day, whatever you happen to be listening to this at, and we will talk to you soon. Sam, thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, bye. Bye.